Welcome to MKB Law's Interactive Insights Podcast. In this episode, we focus on commercial property transactions. I'm Emma Smith, and I'm joined by my colleague, Maria Conway. Hi, everyone. We deal with a broad range of clients from retailers to hospitality to housing developers. Today, we're going to discuss a few examples of where the legal process fits into these developments. Maria, could you talk about some of the work we have assisted on with our builder clients to date? Obviously, we do quite a lot of work with uh, property developers and uh, local builders. That work includes assisting those clients in the, the acquisition of, uh, of sites. Those can be sites which already have planning, but on many occasions it's the case that we're, we're approached by a client where either they're hopeful that uh, they may be able to, to get land uh, zoned with a view to getting planning permission or possibly where land is already zoned, the, uh, the hope is that they can secure planning uh, to maximise the return for the development. For a client, you know, they, they are obviously not going to be prepared to commit to, to purchasing uh, land at risk. And on a lot of occasions, we're asked by clients to involve uh, ourselves in drafting or negotiating a conditional contract or uh, even an option agreement yes. uh, in respect of a piece of land. Do, do you want to um, just break down, Maria, what is an option agreement and how could this benefit either a landowner or a prospective purchaser of the land? Well, option agreements are used in lots of different areas within the the uh, practice, you know, both corporate and property. But specific to, to to site acquisitions, the typical form of option will be where if uh, we're advising, for example, a buyer, they will agree to to enter into this option agreement, which is essentially a, a contract conditional on certain certain factors uh, arising. So that may be where the the land you know needs to be zoned and either uh, they're going to take responsibility for that or it's something that the the landowner takes responsibility for or you know maybe uh, conditional on planning so within the context of those agreements you know you're looking at who's responsible for for what obligations we're looking at purchase price uh yeah. you know, whether uh we can distinguish in these agreements whether it's a put or a call option so you know that's which which party can trigger the the other party to uh to complete uh, on the terms of the agreement and in in the option agreement how would the parties reach a, a fair figure for the land well a lot of the um agreements which we're involved in and especially if you're you're dealing with more sophisticated clients there, there may be commercial agents have already been involved in settling the terms. So some of those terms that will get sent through to us will be where, uh, for example, there's a, a price fixed per acre, uh, again, assuming certain certain conditions, and that would usually be around uh, planning, etc., the, there's other times where the you know, a price might be linked to uh, market value at yes. the date upon which either the contract completes or if it's an option agreement, the option is, is exercised by one of the parties. So like an example of uh, an option agreement which I was involved in recently was uh, a price had been uh, agreed per acre, uh, at like a minimum purchase price. 
uh, which set effectively a, a collar on the value that the seller was going to get for the, the land. Yes. But then there was a purchase price then was linked to market value. And then there was a discount on that market value to reflect the fact that our client was investing the money in securing planning for the, the particular development. So it yeah. was... Uh, the parties had agents advising them on both sides so the seller was protected and that they were guaranteed a minimum value for the land but also the client that we were acting for knew that there was allowance been made for the fact that they had incurred significant professional costs around planning and roads uh, yeah. and the usual professionals involved. Yeah, so it's usually a figure that you know is commercially fair to, to both the landowner and the purchaser. Yeah, well, assuming the, you know, the bargaining position of both parties is similar and they've got reasonable representation, that would be the case. And just before we, we leave the, the developer client examples, what other sorts of bodies would we deal with on behalf of our developer clients? And if, if for example, planning was granted, what other agreements would the, the developer have to obtain? Well, just maybe in the context of planning, uh, if we have a, a contract which is conditional on planning, something that we're always very alive to is making sure that the, the planning's a satisfactory planning permission. So that then sometimes engages the, the other you know, other statutory bodies. So, you know, for example, there isn't a requirement maybe to enter into an owner's agreement with, you know, one of the, the statutory bodies. For example, there isn't a requirement to secure third-party lands in order to, to implement the planning permission, something which comes up time and time again in our in our schemes where it's proposed a residential development would be you know, ensuring that there's uh, there's going to be a connection for, for water and sewage. There's significant capacity issues in this. Yes, it's and particularly it, topical at the moment. It, it, it certainly is, and it's uh, it's a large barrier to, to development. So we're seeing now, because the issues with NI water, you know, very discreet uh, provisions put into conditional contracts or option agreements that deal with that. But um, on occasion, even before we get to that, the onerous conditions, you know, which could determine whether plan of permission is satisfactory or are not, you know, could uh, you know could see the the agreement falling away in the first instance. I suppose moving next on to a sector that that we are heavily involved in, and, and I suppose yourself, Maria, would be one of the key players in the the licensing trade, um, acting for a number of pub and restaurant owners. When we are instructed on behalf of a hospitality client, be that somebody wishing to open a new public house or somebody wishing to open a new restaurant, what sort of elements would those people have to think about? Yeah, in our office, as you say, we've obviously had experience in advising lots of different operators within the, the hospitality sector. Because my practice you know, effectively incorporates both commercial property and uh, licensing elements. It's helpful to have that knowledge across the two disciplines to inform the drafting of the documents. You'd mentioned there, you know, advising someone on, you know, the opening of a, a new pub. I think it's uh, quite well known in Northern Ireland that it's notoriously difficult to try and secure a new license for a public house. That's not only because you can't uh, effectively open up a new pub without surrendering an existing licence, uh, but actually more so the, the need to, to, to prove that there is an inadequate number of pubs in a particular area. And depending on the location uh, where someone is, a, is applying for a new pub licence, it can be extremely contentious. 
and therefore you know we would be advising clients where you know they don't want to incur the cost of acquiring a, a property or taking a lease of a, a property unless they know that ultimately they're going to be successful whether it be in relation to getting planning which is a prerequisite to, to any licensing application but also securing the grant of a, a license yeah so we've been involved where uh, you know we, we've been advising clients on suitable timelines in relation to progressing both planning and a licensing application which ensures that you know they're not committed to taking on a property where they're not able to to actually secure either the planning or the the license for their end user yeah and we also often link in with their other professional advisors throughout the process. We uh, we would normally advise if we're acting for someone, especially whenever it is a, a, a public house application and it engages the need to demonstrate the the adequacy uh, or inadequacy, as the case may be, uh, of provision in a, a, in a particular vicinity. We would always recommend clients bring on, if they don't already have uh, proper consultants, that they bring on a planning consultant that is familiar with that that process and has uh, you know, been involved in doing expert witness work for courts in Northern Ireland. The benefit of that is, you know, with the correct consultant uh, being involved and, you know, drawing on their experience, it may be that a client avoids unnecessary costs you know where they're they're going to to, to hit major obstacles yeah. whether that be even around trying to secure planning you know for particular use so we've seen instances where you know planning maybe for a public house in a in a, in a built-up residential area is obviously not going to be suitable so even before we look at trying to progress a licensing application we couldn't even get that off the ground because yeah. we can't get planning and then as well, it could be that, you know, a particular consultant has been involved in, uh, you know, heavily contested cases in a particular vicinity. And, you know, they can, uh, you know, educate the client as to, to what their likely timeline uh, might be, what their yep. likely costs might be uh, in trying to, to, to progress that. And say you did have a, a client who wished to take a, a lease of a premises with a view to obtaining a licence, what sort of documents would we assist those clients on, you know, to ensure that their risk is minimised should they not be able to obtain the pub licence? So the normally, uh, Emma, what we'll find is because uh, applying for a pub license, there's a significant cost that that goes with with that. Uh, the documents will be fairly robust in terms of uh, you know making sure that you straddle uh, between the the client having comfort that you know they can you know, can withdraw from uh, a particular transaction uh, in the event that either their planning or licensing isn't successful. Uh, as well as though ensuring that they've got adequate title to produce to the to the court, yes. uh, especially in a contested uh, application, we uh, we would find if we're dealing with restaurant uh, developments, we will normally have either an agreement for lease, which is conditional on planning uh, or license, or uh, you know if we think that it's likely to be contentious, we'll have a formal lease put in place, which affords you know a rent free period whilst. You know, a tenant's trying to progress an application within an option to to break the lease in the event that uh, you know, despite them using all reasonable endeavours, they're they're not able to actually secure secure a license. Again, similar to what we talked about earlier in the context of housing developments, you know, if it's conditional on planning, again, those agreements would have in provision around you know what's satisfactory from a tenant's point of view. That if it's not satisfactory, they can walk away. So usual conditions 
that we would be regarding as as onerous if we were acting for a proposed operator would be you know if they were going to be you know under the planning permission restricted on their opening hours you know where it would no longer be commercially viable yeah to operate the business yeah or even for example the amount of floor space which you know they can use for actual trade uh, as well so you know a lot of people when they're doing business plans be working out proposed revenue and looking at how many patrons can they accommodate and uh, you know making sure that uh, ultimately the planning that comes through can accommodate you know what their their business plans are Thanks for that, Maria. I think one of the the key takeaways from today is that it is important as as their trusted legal advisors for all our commercial clients in the retail, hospitality or or development side of things that we do have a broad understanding of the practice in which they operate. Um, If you do have any questions, be that in relation to developments or hospitality or any other industry, we are available to help. Thank you for listening. And please check back on our social media channels for details of our next episode.